It's happy hour over at Sad Styles Productions. We have four podcasts on tap. Here's the thirst-quenching lineup for this week. On Tuesday, the Retrograde Podcast saves Colonel Grimm with this week's game, Army Men, Sarge's Heroes. On Thursday, the Jackass crew relives the pain and glory of the TV show Jackass. Also on Thursday, Frameworth presents The Sign-Off. Mikey and Brian sit down with Doug Gilmore to learn what he likes more, being a player or a coach. On Friday, Losing Money with Andrew Bascom pops some anti-inflammatories and makes some picks for the Preakness. Also, UFC 262 is this weekend, so you know he'll be making picks and losing money on that as well. No last call here. The podcasts are always flowing. Get into it. Coming up, a Sad Styles production. Hello and welcome. My name is Mike Aaronworth signing on to the sign off a Frameworth podcast once again. And ladies and gentlemen, last week's episode was as expected, uh, quite groundbreaking, quite ground shaking. We had a lot of people reaching out to us to let us know that that may have been their favorite episode of the podcast so far. Lo and behold, this is not a shot at any of the guests that we've had on this podcast to date, but this story, the Rick Nash story, or as it's come to be known, the Rick Trash story, again, not a shot at Rick Nash, just a uh, explanation, a strange explanation of the events that occurred, seems to have kind of captured the imaginations of the people listening. We got a lot of listeners writing to us, asking some more questions, and feel free to do that on any of our social media channels. You can also send us some questions or comments at signoffpod at frameworth.com, and we will get to those on air as well. This week, though, is quite a transition. Yet another major guest announcement that we're having, and it's Doug Gilmore, one of our favorite athletes to have here at Frameworth. He's been involved with the company for as long as the company's been around. My dad and Doug go back a long way, and they were even involved in a restaurant opening uh, way back when called Gardoonies. And if you used to go to the games at Maple Leaf Garden, you'd actually remember this restaurant potentially right across the street. So it was great to be able to sit down with Doug and get a sense from him of what it was like to come into Toronto as essentially our savior and lead us to some of the most memorable years we've had in recent years. I, I I say we, I am from Toronto, and we and Frameworth are located in Toronto, so it's hard to separate the two. A little bit of bias there. But we also got to ask him some great questions about what life is like after the NHL, and not the typical questions you'd normally get to ask. Doug has very heavily involved himself in a lot of business opportunities, and that's kind of what we're here to explore. What exists out there after an enormous life in the NHL? What is there to do? And, and Doug clearly has a specific path to follow, as do many of our guests here, so I think you're going to love hearing what he has to say about ways in which he's kept himself busy and kept changing the realm of hockey once he's hung up the skates. So that's it. That is enough of my voice for yet another week. I will lead you into the interview and I can't wait to show you guys what he has to say. We'll see you guys on the other side. Okay, and welcome back, and we're joined in studio by yet another special guest. The uh, the uh, thing I start off every podcast by saying, he was drafted, uh, actually, this may surprise you a little bit, uh, seventh rounder in 1982 by the St. Louis Blues, and he's gone to have a storied career both as a player, a coach, a manager, and a president. So uh, we are joined by Doug Gilmore. Doug, thank you so much for making the time to come down here. My pleasure. Yeah. So uh, as uh, as we, we say to all our guests, one thing that we like to focus on, because we know that a lot of people are on a lot of podcasts talking about the 
their uh, their career and the early days, et cetera, et cetera. We'll get into a little bit of that, but we also do want to talk about sort of the business of sports. And, and one thing that uh, my dad has teased on previous episodes of the podcast is a, uh, a restaurant that our, our listeners have actually been very interested in hearing more stories on that opened up across the street from Maple Leaf Gardens, and it was one called Gardoonies, and that's something that you had a very big involvement in as well. So that's just to, to kind of tease what's what's about to come. But other than that, Doug, what what have you been up to? What what's what's life been like for the past year? Have you have you heard about this COVID thing that's yeah, been going on? It's uh, COVID fifteen for me. That's fifteen pounds heavier. <laughs> so, um, and you just got rid of the freshman fifteen. Yeah, like exactly. I, yeah. Uh, no, it's been uh, quiet times. Um, obviously, it's tough to see family. And yeah. My parents are both gone too. So. Um, I'm kind of a happy, in a sense, uh, with COVID here. My mom was dementia, so she would have no idea what was going on. So, uh, But, you know what, we're taking precautions. Uh, we've been home for a year, year and a bit. And uh, outside, as soon as the weather changes, I get the lawnmower ready. I know. I cut it every other day. Just, so, to, keep busy. <laughs> just to keep busy. I was, I was talking to, uh, to a listener recently who had mentioned uh, how in getting older, there's an excitement to it because the most exciting thing that th- that's happened to that person in two years is that they got a new... Uh, leaf blower. And and it's like, you know what? I used to need a new video game console. I used to need to go to the movies. Now I just need to cut a lawn and that's that's totally fine. Exactly the same. My uh, my weed or my the blower Oop. broke the other day. <laughs> weed so and I, blower. I, I thought we were getting I into something different there. Got a new one. <laughs> and it was better. <laughs> um, yeah, you know what? It's, we've got great neighbors too that uh, uh, when the weather is nice, everybody sits on their driveways uh, grabs a drink and tell stories. And, nice, and it's it's been uh, pretty cool having people like that around. Everybody's safe. They're a lot older, but yeah, it's um, it's something that everybody's going through. Yeah, there's not much we can do about it. What what were you doing in terms of work? Because you're you're sort of a community liaison for the Maple Leafs uh, right now. What what did what Just, were you uh, doing there? We're still doing some Zoom calls. Yeah, um, like everyone else in the country. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. So, what was your green screen background? Uh. Well, now I'm outside. I've got a glassed-in uh, room outside. Okay, so who needs so the green screen? Behind me, it's the pool. I turn the pool light on, and it's just a different atmosphere. Yeah, so usually, you can look at where you'd rather be. Yeah, yeah. usually it's in my office where there's a couple trophies, like the Canada Cup trophy yeah. and different things. So That's so, nice. Yeah. yeah, we'll get into that. Um, so I, I have a question, actually. I'm not sure if you know this, Dad. This uh, When I was uh, uh, doing a little bit of research, I, I didn't recognize. I always thought... Killer, which is obviously the name that you're now synonymous with, was uh, a result of you and the way that you played. Now, tell me if I'm right or wrong about this. Killer did not come from your play style. I think it was Brian Sutter who gave you the nickname. Uh, yeah. And having, after having heard this, do you know the story now? No. Okay, so after having heard this, I wonder if you actually like that nickname or not. Uh, well, and here, here's a little hint before he gets into it. Before it was Killer, his nickname was Charlie, and you're about to find out why. <laughs> Brian Sutter was my roommate for five years, probably the most intense uh, player that I ever played with. And coming from re- you, high really praise. helped me, uh, you know, focus on the game. He's one guy like people say, "Don't take the game home with you." He took the game home with you. Yeah, and it, it really taught me a lot. And uh, he sat beside me in the dressing room. Um, you know, if we had a bad game, he's going to get in your face. Yeah, so really intense. And it, again, I always say he was. Uh, a big inspiration to show me pound for pound, one of the toughest guys I've ever played sure. with. So, so I'm uh, 155 pounds. Uh, I got a mullet. And, uh, <laughs> How much did that mullet weigh? Was that an extra five yeah. pounds or what? Well, not at that time, but um, he called me Charlie because uh, I looked like Charlie Manson. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. So uh, after it was Charlie, then people started calling me killer. And 
then, but Brian Sutter to this day calls me Charlie. Charlie. So, so Killer that, Killer I, was an offshoot. All this time I've been it's, calling him Killer. I had no idea why. Right. Isn't that nice? Charlie Manson. Yeah. <laughs> it's like my, my mom uh, called me Mikey Dikey and then yeah. just changed it to Dikey. And it's like, well, I don't know if I love that nickname. It doesn't really work for me that well, but, you know, to each their own, I guess. Um, yeah, I was hoping I was hoping that was I new to you because- that. Yeah. Uh, so, so you brought up an interesting point there, uh, you know, before we get into kind of the, the business end of things, because I know you're heavily involved in that now, but uh, your relationship with uh, Brian Sutter and other players that may have been challenging to you, was that something you looked for in a teammate, someone who was willing to kind of get in your face and save you? Or was that more earlier in your career you needed it? And did you become that person later on? It's my story with, uh, I had a lot of points in junior when I left. And, right. Um, Ralston Perina was selling the St. Louis Blues. We didn't have an owner, so it was mid-August, and I was over in uh, Dusseldorf in Germany practicing. I was going to sign with the team there because didn't, they, they didn't have a general manager in St. Louis yet, nothing. So I was there for about two weeks, and I called my agent, Larry Kelly, and uh, I said, Larry, they want to sign me. He goes, go to the airport right now. Get out of there. Huh. So I left my equipment everything, um, got out of there. And uh, got home, and then Harry Arnest bought the, the hockey club. Um, and then Ron Caron came in, and then they signed Jacques Demers, so they signed me. And going into the camp wasn't easy because they had uh, Bernie Federico, Blake Dunlop, Mike Zook, Larry Patey, uh, L.A. Lemieux, Mario's brother. Um, so there's a lot of center. Yeah, and, yeah. And uh, Jacques said, if you can check, you can stay. So, you know, coming from getting a lot of points in junior. I've got my contract at home. It's 65 pro, 23 minors. So <laughs> a, after 40 games, it's a one-way deal. Okay. So whatever it took, I, I wanted to be You were sure. there. So I got to play against Gretzky, uh, Mar- or, um, Denny Sabard, um, any best centerman in the league. I get the play, against. and you were checking them. So, I, I had that uh, that lined up as well. You have some some famous battles that you've had against Wayne Gretzky, specifically in the playoffs. And I always wonder, as someone who is such a defensive minded forward, were you someone who was looking forward to those matchups, or was there always an element of like this guy might show me up? Well, I think, I think the biggest thing is growing up for me in Kingston, Ontario. I was a defenseman, right? And uh, Bobby Orr was my favorite. Um, Player. Did you wear number four? Or I did. Were, you did. Nice. I did. It's a number four, Bobby Orr. Number four, Doug Gilmore. Oh, uh, there you go. Uh, yeah, yeah. It works. You kind of, you know, interior it, rhyme, but exactly. we'll take it. We'll accept it. And then uh, pretty much in junior when I moved to uh, center, um, you started watching all the NHL games, and my favorite player was Wayne Gretzky. Right. So obviously having the opportunity to play against him, um, you know, I think firsthand was like the 87 Canada Cup to see how really fast he was yeah. in practice. And yeah. It blew my mind, like how he could cut. And we'd do um, two minutes one way and then two minutes the other way. He led the way. And that's Mike Gartner, Paul Coffey, um, Messier, Glenn Anderson. But once he once he cut, he was gone. Right. So you just you, you take everything in. And I, I used to tell you know kids in junior, especially my kids, when you're on the bench – Watch who you're playing against, and whoever your favorite player might be, watch what he does. Sure. Just learn from it. Sure. And I tried to kind of copycat him behind the net. That was something that I learned and which I was it, was, it was a benefit in one of your goals at yeah. least. Yeah. But it was you know I practiced it in uh, junior, and then when I got to pro, um, you know just to to check 
these guys. And we were winning 5-2 in St. Louis against Edmonton. And uh, going into the third period, maybe they're a little bit hungover. <laughs> but uh, now it was time to kick it in. Sure. We lost 6-5. Oh, no. <laughs> That's how good. Uh, when they when they wanted to, oh, they just threw it Curry, on. Curry, and Koff. So much speed. It was just crazy. So we thought we were playing pretty well, and next thing you know, it's 6-5. Yeah, they let you think you can. You yeah. talk about how fast uh, Wayne was, so, and you put him in the same company as Paul Coffey. Yeah. So I've had the opportunity to skate as an amateur with both of those that guys. was That was when Edmonton called you up for that game, right? No. Yeah. No. Oh, okay. This is <laughs> some fantasy camp, but just to by example, if Wayne's that fast... Paul Coffey, just quick side sure, line. Yeah. We're sitting at the red line and we're doing some drills or something. And Goff says to me, Brian, he says, uh, you skate, we're going to skate around the net at the other end and back. You skate forward, I'll skate backwards, and I will start backwards. And I'll give you the blue line, the first blue line as a head start. He caught me by the center line on the way back, <laughs> skating backwards. So if he's that, and I'm not, I mean, this was years ago, so I'm not that slow. Right. But... If Wayne's that much faster, that's that just blows me away. That that's, story. That's impressive. Um, now you talked. To, you mentioned briefly that you started off as a defenseman. I think you were about sixteen years old when you stepped up as a result of an injury. Is that is that right? And, and you just kind of never looked back. No. Uh, well, I I played tier two in Belleville Bulls when I was sixteen, and in the playoffs, I played left wing because right. an injury. But when I got drafted um, to Cornwall, uh, there was a guy named Gordy Woods and from Kingston, and he knows my family and stuff, but he was going to take me. Um, the, the Cornwall won the Memorial Cup the year before with obviously Dale Howard, Chuck, and uh, Danny Dow, who was their captain. So Danny was leaving, and so I was coming in to kind of take his position. So it, um, yeah, I, you know, playing defense and you see the whole ice, pretty much the same as a centerman. For sure, for so, sure. And again, I got to learn from, I played against Dale um, my whole life. Uh, Kingston, Oshawa would Peterborough were in the league, Belleville and Trenton, that's the team. So um, to watch Dale progress like he did and to play on the same team with him, wow, what yeah. a what a player. Yeah. I, uh, I just have a couple more questions about kind of your, your pre-NHL days uh, because that's always kind of fascinated me. I've always wondered, as someone who was very far away from any semblance of glory in professional sports, uh, but I watched the younger kids play. Uh, you won the Memorial Cup. Is that something, like, where does that rank among your achievements as someone who's had a, a very storied career? I mean, you talk about 1987 and, and the Canada Cup. Uh, where does the Memorial Cup rank? Because it is one of those moments similar to, like, a World Juniors where you may only have one shot at it or one shot at Rookie of the Year. How much weight do athletes put on that? Well, um, after you win the Memorial Cup back in that day, and you're, you go to the World Juniors as a team, not as an all-star team. I actually um, didn't know that. So we picked up uh, Gilbert Delon. Uh, Dion, uh, I don't know, uh, one line and two defense and a goalie. Corrado Mikulov was a goalie. So that was, so now I went from third line to fourth line. <laughs> so uh, just say there was 10 teams, maybe 12 teams. We were 12th. So that was the last year they ever had a team go. That's when they put an all-star team together. I guess, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that seems so, to make a bit of sense. So, yeah, and that was in Germany. Uh, we played, it was a great experience, and then, Playing uh, juniors, especially my first year, I was eligible for the draft, but I got passed over. I I went into camp that year. Uh, there was a guy that jumped on the scale before me, uh, 230 pounds. It was uh, Jeff Crawford. He was a fighter, and they released him, and he went out west. I got on the 
scale when I was 140. <laughs> so it, uh, it, so again, I got past and we won the Memorial Cup and it was a great year. And then the next year, that's when the scouts come in, they weigh you. Uh, central scouting will do that. So I'd have my jock on. <laughs> you grew the mullet out. I had the jock on and I had a lot of coins. And so I'm trying to hit like buck 50 now for, for the up and coming draft. I drink water and eat as much as I could before I knew they were coming in so I could raise my weight up a yeah. little bit. Um, yeah, so back to that. But we had Scotty O'Neill on that team. Mark, Mark Crawford was our captain. Um, Fred Arthur was a first-round pick to Philly, and uh, he became a doctor. Uh, Fred Boimstruck was on the team. Um, he was with the Leafs for a little yeah. bit. Uh, Dan Frawley played in Pittsburgh. So the list goes on, the yeah. names that we had and, and uh, had a great uh, future after that. So... Um, yeah, I can't say enough. Just learning from uh, like Scotty's from Kingston, Arnie sure. and, uh We played. I always played up a year until I got to uh, midget, and they wouldn't allow that anymore. Okay, so I went back with uh, my own age. Now, after I mean, your your NHL career speaks for itself. I mean, you we we've mentioned this a few times on the podcast about the weight that you brought when uh, you know uh, you you came to the Leafs and and kind of showed us some some hope. Which actually, which, there, there was more talk about the weight. Not that he brought, but the weight that he lost. Oh, yeah. Remember, every game that he went out there and played with the Leafs, and there was talk about how does a guy like that, you, ha- what, you used to lose three, four, five pounds a game? Yeah, I, I would lose a lot of weight, but in uh, the playoffs especially, um, you'd lie down on the table right after, uh, put uh, intravenous in, and, and put the electrolytes back in your system. And I'd, right. walk, I'd go home and like I didn't even play. So... You know, you go home, have a bite to eat, and you're right back at it. Oh, so wow. It's, um, the playoffs were, were tough because that was every other day. For yeah. sure, for sure. And it's the hardest hockey you'll play. Um, now, you obviously spent a, a, a long time as a player, but you also got into uh, the coaching world. You had some success with the Kingston Frontenacs. Uh, you brought them from, I think they had like 13 wins this se- uh, when you took over, and then the following season yeah. they were over 500. Um, what, when, and, and from there, obviously, general manager and president to, to where you are now as a, as a community liaison, what did you enjoy more, playing the game or coaching the game? Well, and I know you're going to say different for different reasons, but... Yeah, it was playing the game, yeah. for sure. I think the one thing that you never get out of your mind is when you retire, the, the, you'll never have that, I guess, the competition. thrill. Of, well, it's not even the competition, the thrill of going out on the ice in front of your fans. Sure, sure. Start of a game. Everybody's cheering. It never and, gets old, eh? It, especially... The playoffs, you know what I mean? That adrenaline you, you'll never get back. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. Um, I really enjoyed coaching, though. It's the uh, closest thing you get to, to playing. And, yeah. Uh, you try to take everything that uh, you learned from other coaches, and uh, especially the things that you don't do. Um, the one thing, I would never yell at the kids. Um, my pretty much discipline would be, okay, if we don't skate hard today, we're going to skate hard tomorrow. Sure. And that was it. So you mean skate hard in practice? In practice, tag skate. Yes. Yeah. So, so, somewhere, uh, so, John Tortorella is cringing. I think by, by yeah, <laughs> not yeah. yelling. But I, I just I wanted them to know that okay, if you make a mistake, try not to do it again. Sure. So you're not there to punish your kid. You don't want confidence is, is such a fine level, and when you give give the kids confidence to play, they're going to play that much harder for, for you. sure. For sure. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed that, and then. Uh, the owner, after my third year coaching, the owner said he wanted me to do both, right. GM and coach. And I said, I can't do both. Yeah. 
That seems like a big ask. Unless I had somebody that's going to do all the scouting, pretty much, because all our games are on the weekends, right? Which which you did a little bit for the Leafs before the Frontenacs, right? Yeah, I was player development. It's more uh, go see the players that they already drafted. Like um, I went over to Russia a couple times to see Kuhlman play, yep. and um, so yeah, it, it was different. Sure, um, obviously, you know the. He's already drafted, and I'm just there to see sure, how sure. his development is. Sure. And, um, I, yeah, so I kind of worked with Cliff Fletcher a little bit, John Jr. a little bit, just to kind of get my you know, nose dirty a little bit, yeah. see what this is all about. And then the, uh, I said to Cliff, I'd like to get into coaching. So I was assistant coach with the Marlies for about two and a half months, and then Kingston called, and I decided to go, go coach in junior. Awesome. It was, a, it was a great experience, and it's something that uh, – you know, it's the GM side was pretty cool too. Yeah. Uh, when it's draft time and to see the face of the kids. But the one thing I hated about it is that when I had to cut a kid. Oh, I, I bet. And it's like, I'm killing their dream. And right. you got to stay positive. And, you know, you're that, you're close. And in reality, he's not. Right. So it's, a, it's something, or even if you have to trade a kid. For sure. It's, it's, you know, Shattering at that point. It, really, it yeah. really is. You're sitting there in a position in in at that level of play that when you cut a kid, that's it, it for them. It kills. I mean, if you're already in the NHL and you cut them, at least they had a chance to be in the show. Sure, sure. But yeah. when you cut them before, then you don't get a chance. Yeah, I had uh, I had one parent. Uh, he was very wealthy, and his kid. He was a top two centerman, and again, a lot of these kids are the top players coming into junior, and some stay at that level. They don't right. develop any higher. Right. And other kids are maybe a little bit smaller and now they're growing, they're getting bigger and their skills are getting better. Sure. So it's not up to us to let that happen. Give them an opportunity, but they got to do it by themselves. So this one kid um, decided to come in, he played power play, regular shift, but he wanted to kill penalties. And I said, well, what about the third, fourth line guys that uh, you know protect you and go through the wall for you? And I got to give them a role too. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess he went and spoke to his dad, and so uh, played that one night, and I'm walking out, and there's his dad talking to the owner of Kingston. Oh, jeez. Oh, my God. And I, so I get home, and he, the owner calls me. I said, okay, what was that about? And he goes, he wanted to know how much the team was. He wanted to buy it so he could fire me. Oh, my <laughs> God. Come on. So you talk about karma. Yeah. About two weeks later, he gets caught uh, – uh, trying to outrun cops at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and my, Did my, his dad buy him out of that too? Or? Well, <laughs> my nephew's canine in Kingston. So his dad said, well, what can you do for us? I said, nothing. You got to fight this one on your own. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Can't yeah. do anything if I'm fired. You know what? what goes around comes around. Always. Always. Yeah. Um, I, I always have this kind of weird question. Like I, I, I know that, that times have changed and, 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 Players nowadays, kids nowadays, like if you're to compare th- your team that you were coaching to the team that you were playing on uh, when you were in junior, what what would uh, how would they stack up? Is is there a comparison to be made, or is it just the game has changed too much that you can't even make that? Yeah, I think there's just the systems alone. Yeah, you know what? When you pinch in back in our days, you didn't pinch in right. Um, as Kenny Reed says all the time, pucks deep. It's like you know what people to this day. Yeah, they want to get the pucks in deep and then go get them. Well. In my days, I'm I'm not going to throw the puck in sometimes, right? Because I'm not big enough to get it back, right? <laughs> so I got to try to make a play. Sure, sure. So 
I know Bernsey, uh, one game we were playing, and I lost the puck first shift of the game, and they went down and scored. I didn't see the ice till the third period, and I was pissed. Yeah. But you know what? If, if uh, you see the fourth line guy, if he does it, he's getting benched. So <laughs> I'm going to bench you. Sure. Show everybody else that. Don't you, do it that way. You can't do it that way. Yeah. Especially the last, or sorry, the first five minutes, the last two minutes. Right. Don't lose the puck. Right. So, yeah, the game has changed. Um, you know, equipment's uh, much better, everything yeah. else. So Tough to say. It's, yeah, in, in the like in our days hooking, you know what I mean? Like when, when my kids watch um, the 90 playoffs. Yeah. They'll go, what are the rules? It's <laughs> like <laughs> so you don't know. Like if it's hoarding, maybe cross-check into the head or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the hooking, like we would hook a guy to go uh, take off on a breakaway. Right. Like, like slingshot yourself. Yeah. So it's just... Uh, things have changed. It's tough to, changed. tough to compare. One thing one thing that obviously hasn't changed is, uh, is is I think, your your sway and your presence here in Toronto. I think it'll kind of always be that way. And it was certainly that case, as we mentioned before, when we started to, uh, to talk about opening up Gardunis. And I'd love to get into that. Because for the listener who hasn't heard of Gardunis, we've talked about it on earlier episodes. Uh, and especially if you're not in Toronto, it's likely you wouldn't have heard of it. But it was a mainstay for anyone who was going to Maple Leaf Garden. We had uh, Bob McCowan on recently who had spoken about how you had to run double shifts nights before the game. People had basically an hour to get in, get out. Well, that didn't really affect Doug. No, no, yeah, of course. He's already in the dressing room. Yeah, no, well, yeah. <laughs> but intermission, on the other yes. hand, no. Uh, but this was this was kind of uh, where people would go, and sometimes they would see some of the players uh, or, or some of the, the athletes. I know we talked about the WWF being there, but why don't you walk us through, uh, Dad, the the process that, that kind of got into your head about starting this and how Doug got involved. Well, Doug... Doug got involved. It, it it didn't end up in terms of a full fledged partnership. It, at the beginning, we were all on side and we were going through with it. Right. And um, Doug was a big part of that. Um, but he had such a big year the year before. He literally had to back out of the partnership side of it because the I believe it was the Maple Leafs that said, "Hey, now we own all the marketing rights. You yes. can't you can't do things on your own anymore." Because that was Correct. part of the you signed Hesper. a big deal that time. Well, with Hesper, Steve Davy or Diesel, yep. Steve Davies, that uh, I said to him the following year, anyways, I said, you know, sign me to a contract. Otherwise, the yeah. Leafs, yep, they're going to. And take. he didn't listen, and so I signed a deal with uh, Carhu, which was um, Coho Titan, right? And that was you know big dollars. Well, I got to start with though. Um, I, I can't remember the exact time that we first met. But I do remember some good times. And I remember when you came to Toronto, the whole team turned around. I mean, it was, and that's the same time we started up our business. We started in 92, and and the Leafs just became the thing. The Blue Jays were hot. Yep. The fan radio just started. I couldn't have picked a better time, fortuitous. And then uh, we ended up with, um, when I saw the restaurant open up across the street or go bankrupt, and I called McCowan and I said, I got this concept. And if we get a few big celebrities involved, that place is going to be jammed not only on game nights, but every night. Right. And so that's that's when we had met earlier through Steve Davies, who wanted to do um, a memorabilia piece of print called Killer Blue. Remember yep. that? It was a black and white sketch. I forget who the artist was. Yeah, it was like just dots. Yeah. And it was a really cool piece. So he came to me and he said, hey, you know what? Uh, you're in the memorabilia business. I don't know how he found me because sure. I didn't know sure. Steve at the time. 
uh, maybe I'd done some framing for him or something, but he introduced me to Doug. Well, okay, this is my first big celebrity hockey player that I met because we were talking about how I, I never knew the players to get autographs directly. Right, right. So we got this killer blueprint that Steve came and he says, we can, we can get this autograph by Doug and he's the hottest thing that's hit Toronto for years. And uh, so, so I get to meet Doug for the first time. We get these, I didn't even get him, uh, see him sign those. He, Steve brought them over. And uh, they started selling really well. I think it's more Doug didn't get to meet you. Is, uh, yeah, is that? Exactly. <laughs> but then he says, well, Jesus is going so well. What do, we should market some autographed hockey sticks. Sure. We said, that sounds great. So we ended up marketing. So, so we meet. I don't know if you remember this. Where are we going to do this? Well, let's do it downtown. I said, well, okay, where, where do you want to go? And we did it at the Maddie. Madison. Pump. Oh yeah. yeah, that's I. I couldn't think of the name the other day. We yeah, Madison on Maddie. Yeah, yeah Maddie. and we sat there all afternoon drinking beer and and signing hockey sticks. It yeah. was a summer day, so I guess uh, you have a picture of that in your office, actually. My, yeah, yeah, you're right. I got I got to put a photo of that the, up. Do you remember the manager's name? That guy with the no, the big guy. big tall guy, because um, he's the one that started all that. Like the. the Making his own brew downstairs. It was crazy. And that was <laughs> yeah. a big, I don't know if it's still there, but they they still were there. the hot bar. It was a university pub. Because then he bought the place next door and put more uh, uh, beer making stuff in the basement. Oh, yeah. So that's how he made all his money. He wasn't, they had Molson product and different, right, or right. Glass, whatever it might be, but he had his own brew. And students, well, that's a dollar a beer. Yeah. You're going to take that. At the risk of going blind, I'd take that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so... We ended up signing the sticks, marketing them, and then we just formed a relationship where we're doing more and more memorabilia. But Doug was one of the first guys that I worked directly with because we used to buy from uh, all these other guys that, uh, what was the guy that used to be the the trainer, a stick boy for... uh, Stick boy, he says again. (laughs) Martin Ross? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Chico. Chico. He used to, so I used to buy all the stuff from him because he had all the contacts with the players. Sure. I don't even know if he's still in the business, but. No, he, he does banquets and stuff now. I've done a couple with them. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So, but then we started dealing direct. So D- Doug was one so of the first guys that, that we had. That was the beginning of, of kind of your relationship because you talked about doing the deal with Borier and, and Daryl way back when. Well, that, that was, was one of. That was and, one of earlier, yeah. but this is as you're starting to get into uh, Frameworth as a sports marketing company as opposed to more of right. a, a framing company. Right. Now, how long after that would you have had it in your head that you wanted to, to take a run at Gardunis and what made you think Doug for that? Well, because I knew Doug and you couldn't get a better partner sure. in terms of popularity. So I think it was about 94. When did you sign your second contract? Yeah, 94. Yeah, so, so just before that, yeah. we, um, I phoned McCowan and we built the re- I had built two or three other restaurants prior to that, uh, aside from this business. Uh, one was pretty successful. The other ones, yeah. But you didn't tell, you didn't tell Doug about the other no. ones. Sorry, <laughs> no. But I said, hey, you know what? You don't have to do anything. We'll build it. Yeah. Just be part of it. Um, we didn't even know whether you'd have to buy in or just, you know, be in. But w- so it, it didn't end up uh, to to as a partnership long range. But boy, do we have a great opening day. I told the story on with McCowan, how I got people, all these big celebrities like bare naked ladies to come. Oh, I was going to say, do you remember who you kicked off stage to get, <laughs> to yeah. go give it? Doug got up there and gave a little bit of, uh, showed us his vocal range as well. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Yeah, it was great. Shirt off. Everybody was, I'd say, hey, you can't be publishing those photos. <laughs> 
Yeah, there's no cameras those, those days. <laughs> but we had some good times there. Yeah, well, yeah. You know, you took care of my parents all the time too when they came in. So you know, my parents just loved going there. Yeah, sitting down and they always. Some games I didn't want to go in after a game if it's a bad game. Of and, course, but you you still try to make a, a little, little show. Appearance. We're, we're we're in the bubble, right? So <laughs> it was. Uh, it was a great spot, and yeah, like you said, great memories. And well, and, and you were the one that actually nicknamed my brother, uh, my younger brother Alan, who managed the place. What, what was your nickname for him? Woody. Woody. <laughs> Woody. Because I think it was because what he he looked like Woody Allen. Or? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he was great to me all the time too. He was there all the time, right? Yeah. So he did a lot of work. And, yeah. And like. It's, it was just different. Like, even for me, uh, just to go in on an off day. Yeah. Go in for lunch. And Amazing. You'd see people. And we had a great afternoon. I was just telling yeah. you earlier. That it, was, it was cheers in the hockey world. Jerry Roberts just called, uh, emailed me to do some uh, framing, some jerseys for him. Uh, and uh, I don't think he even remembers who I am until I told him the story about uh, us sitting there one afternoon for the better part of that on an off day, having a few drinks when he was coming to town. Oh, I think he was still with Calgary. At sure, the time, sure. So. Him and Diesel. Had, uh, I, think, I think Newey came over, too, for a little bit. Newey and Dyke, I think. He, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So for me, I'm just getting started in the business. I'm sitting with the, the most popular guys in Toronto at the time, and I'm just a little guy that, uh, you know, just trying to make a way for sure. myself. And, uh, I mean, it was such a thrill. Right. You know, and, and since then, all those things have led to that. But that was one of the first great experiences that I've had in the celebrity genre with with that now we've all become pretty good friends yeah yeah and, and gary uh him and i were neighbors in calgary for okay. three years and you know every day i would go to the rink together and so summertime you know his fitness that's when he kind of got into the yeah yeah, side yeah. Of it. which he seems to be uh then he had big the, into the now, neck yeah. injury and retired for right. a little bit then he came back but so in the summer months uh he had a two thousand dollar mountain bike which is probably like 10 now and I, I had a probably two hundred dollar um, five speed mountain bike with a baby seat in the back. <laughs> so he goes for a month. He's asking me to go for a cruise. So we're gonna go twenty six miles, and so we do it. And at the end of it, there's a hill at the end of our street, and we're gonna race up. So I beat him. He gets up top, gets off his mountain bike, throws a mountain bike right down the hill. <laughs> he's so pissed off at me. He goes for. You haven't done anything for three weeks. Well, I had a gym in my basement, but I didn't tell him. Oh. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not really a biker. I'm a runner. Right. How I get uh, my cardio going for myself. But, oh, yeah, Gary, uh, he, uh, he, you know, he talk about an intense guy. Oh, yeah. Ice. So you think about it. First game, we play against each other. Yeah. Maple Leaf Gardens, 13 seconds in the game, we're both in the penalty box. We're punching each other in the head. <laughs> That's always never always the case. To yeah. me. I, I saw a game last uh, Boston and Pittsburgh with uh, uh, Marshawn Sydney the sure, other day, sure. and they were kind of grabbing each other after a scrum, and uh, and I know they're good friends, yeah, right. But but on the ice, it's totally different. Oh, right? it's it's funny. We're playing. Uh, Todd Gill was playing. I believe in he was captain in San Jose at the time, and Dave Ellett was retired, so he came to watch the game. And uh, same thing, we're slashing each other, and he slashes me. Um, he gets a penalty, comes out of the penalty box, scores, they win the game. So <laughs> everybody's going, where are you going? His teammates are going, where are you going? Well, Gilmore, uh, Dave Elton, we're all going out. 
goes, you guys were just hating each other. <laughs> and now you guys are going to go for beers? It's like, oh, yeah. So it's, it's, it's a great feeling. You, you, you know who the guys are that are going to compete against you sure. and everything else. And you want to win. And Without um, without naming names, obviously, we're like that. that's that's the case with some people that you get into it with on the ice. But yeah. were there some players out there that it wasn't just about the game? Like it, it was, it got kind of personal or, or that you. There's, there's one guy indirectly that I, I didn't like. And yeah. I try to fight him every time I played him. <laughs> um, Kasparitis. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. uh, he ran over JP Dumont one game and knocked him out. Um, so I remember it was in Buffalo and, uh, I'll tell you another story about Buffalo afterwards. But, um, so it's uh, game's over, and the bus is parked where we park in the back. So everybody's gone, and I'm still waiting. So I've tried to fight him in the parking lot. Oh. <laughs> and so um, Barnaby calls Rob Ray, and the next day Razor came, comes in and goes, what the hell did you do last night? talking about he goes well casparitis got on the bus and he couldn't talk he was he was uh just like he was scared and didn't oh. know what was going on and all this, and uh barnaby says all he said was gilmore <laughs> <laughs> is that his version of red rum yeah. like if you said your name backwards wow yeah and you know like i got traded from chicago to buffalo and um it's it was it was different. It was towards the end of my career, and then I signed with Montreal after Saku went down with cancer. And right, and I'll never forget going back into Buffalo. So we played Buffalo. I asked for two weeks to train, so I, I haven't been on the ice for a month. So I get there two days later. We play against Buffalo at home, and uh, Jeff Hackett got hurt, and we lost the game. So going into Buffalo the next game, I got five thousand dollars on the board to win. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because uh, it's your ex-team, right? Yeah. That's that's the tradition. My daughter and her husband now, but her boyfriend at the time, they're coming to the game. And so when, you know, first shift, um, uh, Vaclav Verada runs over Jose Theodore and knocks him out. So I'm at one end of the ice. And I hear one of my old teammates, right, that I didn't care for anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so I go down. I go underneath him. I take his knee out. So my daughter gets to the game, and all they hear is, um, I don't know what I got. I, I two, five, and ten or something. <laughs> I was I was out of the game anyway, so they didn't see me play. So we went, end up winning the game. So there, there goes five thousand dollars to the uh, fine kitty, and um, I get suspended for two games. So there's another fifteen grand. Oh no, that's an expensive, expensive win <laughs> up on the board, but worth Montreal. it. But worth it. Well worth it. Well worth it. Of course it was. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Montreal always reminds me. It was Montreal when you slammed the penalty door yeah. so hard that it shattered. Right? You had like to me. Have you seen that clip? I'm, no. I'm a, you haven't seen. So so Doug's remember. sitting in the penalty box and he slams the door shut and the glass shatters. And it is the most terrifying thing I've ever seen in my life. You know how in a movie someone will walk away from an explosion and that's cool. It shatters and you just kind of don't even react and that like well, ice in your veins. We were playing against Carolina and um, they were up. Uh, three two in the series and I think it was I took the penalty and we were already down four two with about seven minutes to go and so that could have been my last game right 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 so yeah I took a penalty I like slammed the door and the glass never breaks no of course not so as soon as it happened it broke I put my head down and go oh boy I'm in, <laughs> I'm in here for a while 
the worst part is I had to get out of there for them to clean all the glass up, go sit in the other penalty box. And so, uh, it, uh, George Gillette, our owner, pretty cool guy. And he, uh, so we had a banquet at the end of the year and I didn't know if I was going to sign again or not, but he said, you know what? Thank you so much for playing with the Canadians. We beat Boston who uh, was number one in our conference that year. And, um, bring out a wheelbarrow all full of the glass. Oh, oh my God. Here you go. <laughs> so I grabbed a couple of pieces and signed them and then put them in his pocket. So at the end of the day, he went to pick up his jacket. It was about seven pounds. Oh, that's year. amazing. And he, he looks at it and goes, I'm going to sell these. <laughs> you know what? I wish I had those now exactly. because that, if you put that story together with the glass, if you had that glass. Oh, that is know, amazing. Sell plexiglass. Game use plexiglass. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, it was... Uh, yeah, that's, I guess I was known for breaking the glass. I'm, I did really well. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk to you a little bit about, obviously, you know, us being in the sports memorabilia world, uh, sports marketing world as well. Uh, we're always fascinated to hear how players who have a career like yours, uh, what their relationship is to sports memorabilia. Now, given your popularity, especially in Toronto, you know, being one of the, the first people that Frameworth worked with very closely, did you always know that that was going to be something you'd be involved in? Or once you got involved, did you, did you even have a sense of what that world was going to turn into? No, not at all. I think when you started, it was just totally, um, yeah, all sides of stuff for you. Yeah. It's usually for golf tournaments or different things. And or gifts, you know what I mean? Sure, it wasn't sure. uh, crazy like that. And obviously, uh, Framework took off, and it's uh, you great people in here when you look at all the um, people that have been through here, and it's uh, it's a great business. We, really. We've got one of the uh, captain's row pieces behind you there, which was uh, all oh, the Leafs captains great, at the time. That's a great yeah. conversation, eh? Because that was, um, that's a uh, piece, uh, and we'll show it on on the air. Yeah, I'll, I'll, or maybe it's in the background of Doug, but... Yep. Um, Pete, uh, um, Bob Laval came yeah. to me uh, and said, I've got this concept for, for a, a piece. And he said, uh, we get all the living Leaf captains together. I think there were nine of them at the time. Nine. And then uh, we ended up uh, putting together, well, his concept was, if we do this piece and we, we put them all in, in a dressing room and we sign this piece by all the guys... You think you could sell it? Do you, you think? Kidding me? <laughs> I said, but there's a problem because at the time Dave Keon really didn't want right. to associate with the Leafs because of some past dealings. Um, but Bob was really good friends with him and got, convinced him to do it. Matt Sundin, I think, was the captain at the time, yep. and going right back to Ted Kennedy, right, who was still alive, one of the great captains of all time, and they rebuilt. Bob had arranged the Hockey Hall of Fame to rebuild the the dressing room in a photo studio by getting the hall of fame to put authentic pieces yeah. of yeah. memorabilia in there. And the piece was signed by all the players. What an undertaking, yeah. but I, what a thrill to be part of that. Yeah. It was great because, um, at the time Dave didn't do anything with the Leafs sure. and, and this was our project, not the Leafs. So sorry. And it was one of those things that, you know, for me growing up, when I got traded to Toronto, uh, Tom Watt said, no more high numbers. So I wanted 93. Yeah. And when I, my first picture in the dressing room, I'm sitting there, I got number 14 on. And I said, there's no way I'm wearing that number. Oh, wow. So the number I would have wore was 16, Uh huh. So which was Mitch's number. Right, that right. He was 93 and right, all that other right. stuff. So, yeah. Um, and, and part of that, I, I remember saying to Pappy in training camp, we're playing against uh, the Leafs. Uh, in 
our building at the Saddle Dome. And I said to Pappy, I said, hey, make sure uh, 93 is in the trade when um, I'm coming. <laughs> so you had 39 there, right? Yes. And so you just wanted to reverse the numbers, or was there yeah, a 93 just, reason? Well, I didn't. Three has always been my kind of lucky number, but uh, I wore nine. And then Lanny had nine, and then Tim Hunter had 19, Joel Otto 29, so I went to 39. Uh -huh. And then when I got traded and uh, Alexander Godinyuk was in the deal, and he was wearing number 93, and that's the number I wanted. So mm. but okay. I, I told Pappy that in training camp, though. I said, And, and you managed to get it, though. Well, yeah. but I didn't even know I was going to get traded. But oh, I okay. said, if I get traded... That's I want the number. that number. Yeah, they give, give me <laughs> that one. Yeah. I love that. I, I always love hearing. Uh, we had uh, Daryl on, and, and he told the story about uh, about how he got his number. And essentially, it was just 27, just this here is it is. What you're this, is this is what you're wearing. He yeah. had no say in the matter, nor did he really want one, which fascinated well, me as he was, well. Well, he was kind of thrilled the fact that, you know, Mahavlich wore it before him, who was right. one of the greats. Great leaps of all time. Speaking of, uh, um, you know, just some interesting little facts. I don't even know if you know this, but you have a record in the NHL. Maybe you do. I, I shouldn't presume. But you have a record in the NHL, which uh, is, I didn't even know they would keep track of. But it's the record for the fastest two goals scored by opposing teams. Yep. Did you know that, that, that this is one that you carried? Yeah, two Kingston guys as well. Oh, with Kenny Linsman. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, Kenny scored and... Yeah, uh, for Boston, they, they I think, at the time, yeah. Boston Garden, small rink. Well, there's no goalie. So right off the faceoff, we just shot it down, and um, it went in. It goes two in. Seconds later, two seconds whatever. later. Two seconds <laughs> two later. Two seconds. Two seconds. There's another one, too. I think the fastest. Two just go uh, for the, uh, just, just into the mic. Two, again, two, yeah. uh, I think there's another one, too. Uh, two shorthanded goals. Oh. The fastest. Um, Opposing teams or for you? For our team. It was Calgary. I scored, and then Paul Ram Ranheim scored. I think two seconds, three no, three seconds later. Yeah, shorthanded. Shorthanded. He, I just pushed it through the middle. He could fly, and he was gone. So, wow, poof. Yeah, that's a pretty, uh, pretty fast one. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we we started talking about Wayne Gretzky's speed on this podcast, and now we're talking about the speed at which goals are scored when yeah. you're on the ice. Um, uh, I, I I love those little fascinating bits of of information. I have one question that this is. I, I hope our listeners are interested. This is more of uh, on a personal level, but uh, I've always been big into the NHL video games, and uh, there was one year. I believe it would have been 2009 just after 2007 when they revamped the system and they had made a big deal about going back and signing some of the more legendary alumni of the NHL. And you were one of the people, especially in the Toronto market, that they leaned on pretty heavily. I know you had done some radio interviews about what it was like to see your avatar in the game and to see your kids playing you in the game. What was that like? Like, like to I mean, you you would have existed in the other games, like NHL 94 being one of the, the very popular ones. Was that ever special to you or was that just kind of I, something I never played on? video games except, yeah. I guess, when we your kids pong that's that's yeah. what <laughs> so we go back a few years so, i mean pong is kind of the most simplistic version of hockey when you think about it yeah so, yeah so but i never really got into it and you know even though your kids have all the systems and everything yeah. i just never did it and yeah then, so i'd watch them yeah and, and see how it'd go and yeah. different things so have you ever picked up the controller and tried no. against them no, no not even not eh? a chance that's fair I, that's fair I, I, i'm the same way and and this guy is into games like yeah. Even has its own podcast with the retrograde. The retrograde. Is, I mean, which, that's that's why which though discusses all those games. That's why I'm interviewing you about having a career in professional yeah. hockey, and I'm sitting here asking questions about video games. Yeah, <laughs> but it's yeah, it, it, it's pretty cool, obviously. Yeah, and then in later time, as time goes on, and even the junior kids 
uh, that played junior. Yeah. During, in the oh, it's, it's very too. big to it. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Mitch Marner. I mean, he goes on Twitch all the time where yeah. he basically just streams himself playing video games, which is something that uh, a lot of people completely don't understand. But the way I always like to see it is if I'm a kid growing up and I look up to Sidney Crosby, for example, yeah. there's an opportunity to essentially watch him play my favorite sport with a GoPro on his head. Or I can log, I can potentially show up to a pickup game and he's there playing. That's that's essentially the 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 in that they that they give. So we talk about all the changes in the world of marketing and sports and, and how that's affected hockey. And and I do think that there's an element of gaming that will lend itself well to uh, to this world of, of sports and fan interaction, especially. No question, it'll be a future, but it won't be anything Doug and I. No, yeah. fair, fair, fair. Um, I speaking of interactions with the younger generation, though, this you may hate this question, but I'm I'm curious. If you were to put on the skates now, uh, with the team that you were the president of, uh, Kingston, what line would you be playing on? Would you make it? What do you mean? Like, would you be able to? Would you? Would you? Would you make the team, or would or would the GM be bringing you into the office to tell you you've been cut? No, I'd make the team. Yeah, of course you would. So, what, what line would you be <laughs> on? For you, I love it. I love it. Be on the first line. There you kidding? go. There you go. That's what I was hoping to hear. That's what yes. I was hoping to hear. That's fantastic. I love it. Look, we're uh, we're just wrapping up here. Uh, it was a great uh, forty five minutes or so, and we appreciate your time. We appreciate you coming down. A uh, little peek behind the curtain. Doug was actually in signing some stuff for us as well. So that's what you're going to get on the sign off. Some some pop-in guests who, uh, who turn the mics on and, uh, and, and give you something uh, to peek well, behind the curtains at. I, I really appreciate the fact. That, I mean, Doug and I have become friends over the years. Uh, we obvi- He's obviously uh, somebody that we market and do very well with. Of course. Um, you know, two or three, well, three or four of the, the past Leafs are, are still selling day in, day out as a piece of memorabilia. And I will stress, um, one thing I... I, I I need to, and a lot of the people that are listening are collectors, but other people are going, well, you know, it's a business and how come all these players, especially hockey players, right? when you see them in the street, you respect their privacy. But if, if you do that, they're happy to sign an autograph here and there. In fact, they love to do that. Um, What we do with Doug and other players is a business for the collectors. They want to make sure that the piece is, um, authentic that they want to buy and sell and, and that's Pristine a autographs, side. all that. Right. Yeah. So there's two separate worlds there. Uh, and the players are just amazing with fans and they do things on the side. You don't even know about Doug's one of them, but Doug came here at my request and I really appreciate him yeah, spending absolutely. the time here. So thanks. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Much. You can, Thank you, you can, guys. you can stream a movie online or you can pay for it. Uh, and, and you're going to get different quality in both of those things. We like to give you the option to get the high quality, uh, just like, uh, the interview that you gave us. So, uh, do you have any plugs before we go? Anything you want to tell the, the listeners, uh, that you're getting up to? No, no, everything's just, uh, it's good. My, my website, my website's out there. We got a little bit of swag that, uh, and what's, what's that? Project, uh, ball hat and, um, uh, it's Team 93, Gilmore, so perfect. Um, sweatshirts, hoodies, and different things. So. Awesome. So check that out. Absolutely. We'll, we'll drop a link what, to that. What's the name of the well. website? I don't even know. <laughs> well, it's going to be Doug Gilmore 93. <laughs> okay, we'll we'll look that up, and we'll, we'll give we'll, you a drop as well. We'll drop it on the end of the podcast. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so once again, for Doug Gilmore, for Brian Aaronworth, President of Frameworth, and myself, Mikey Aaronworth, this is us signing off. Awesome. Good stuff. I don't even know. I was saying, you know, I was saying,
Well, ladies and gentlemen, we made it to the end of yet another episode. Thanks again so much for joining us. You can find videos of all of our episodes on YouTube by searching the Sign Off Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Frameworth Sport or Instagram at Frameworth Sports. And hey, if you're not sick of me yet, you can find me on Twitter over at, at Retrograde Mikey, or you can always find me embarrassing myself over on Instagram at Aaronworth. The Sign Off is a proud product of Fadoo Productions and Sad Styles Productions, executive producers Mikey Aaronworth and Andrew Bascom. Until next week, this is Mikey Aaronworth signing off. Furnished by Sad Styles Productions. Get into it.